All right. Like Michael said, my name is Dirk, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a college student and you were at the worship event Thursday, no, this is my second sermon in a week. It's a busy week. But I only preached for 12 minutes on Thursday, which is like almost the impossible for any preacher. So today I get to go a little bit longer, and it's something that I'm really excited about. So, yeah, if you're new, we're in the middle of the book of Isaiah. And where we find ourselves today in chapter 35 uh, is really the last passage we get before the impending doom of the empire of Assyria shows up at Jerusalem. This has been something that God has been warning for quite some time, and now they're finally going to be there. And so if you can kind of imagine this, when God gives this word to Isaiah, to be the people of Jerusalem going about your your daily routine, things begin to change around this time. If you were to go up on the wall of Jerusalem, at some point you would begin to see smoke start to rise in different areas to the north, from the different cities that Assyria was plundering. You would also see droves of people trying to escape those cities to find refuge in Jerusalem or further south. At some point, then, closer, you would begin to hear the drums of war and the dust being kicked up from all the soldiers marching towards Jerusalem. But at this point in time, God is giving one more glimpse of hope to his faithful remnant and his people before this storm arrives. And what he's giving is a present and future reality for his faithful people then and now. And so for us, it's really important for us to pay attention. And what we're seeing in this chapter is this theme of praise. God's highway, but on the highway, God's people are being recognized by their praise and joy. But what's the reason for that praise? The cause of praise, what we can see at the beginning of this passage, if you go to verse 4, God says through Isaiah, be strong, fear not. Why? Behold, your God will come. Or if you go up to verse 2, near the last little chunk, he says, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. They shall see. Now this gets into what we commonly talk about here at Redeemer and what we see thematically through Scripture is this This understanding of who or what we behold forms us. That that in our design, the way that God created us, we are wired and created to worship. We are created to bring focus, to bring adoration to to ultimately God, but in our brokenness, we, we look at other things. But those things really consume us, right? We, we can consume different things in our lives, but those things end up ultimately consuming us. And they, they can turn into obsessions, not just things that we focus on, but, but things that we obsess over. And this forms the way we live. It forms the way we interact with people. And it changes value systems. It changes and affects the decisions that we make. 
But what happens when we behold creation? So if you look at simple examples like money, it can, it can just look like an ambitious sense of hoarding wealth. It can look like an obsession with hoarding stuff. But the outcome of that, you can look less generous. You can lack real relationships. You could have a good network. You could have good connections with a lot of people, but not a lot of real relationships. And it could also look like apathy, because here's the thing, money's not alive. And if we're beholding money, if we're beholding things that are not alive, we become more like those things. And if it's not alive, we look more and more like death. The focus can also just be on ourselves. Being ambitious for your own status, for your own self-worth, and what that can look like, even as Christians. We can elevate self-love and put greater value on self-love than the love that God chose you. That's a dysfunctional way of living that God did not intend. And so then the outcome of that, it looks like loneliness, because if you put all the focus on yourself, you're not going to have relationships. You're going to be alone. It can also look like fear because if you're beholding yourself, guess what? We have insecurities. We built ourselves on a shaky foundation. And so if we're just focusing on on ourselves, if we're looking more and more in the mirror, what we're building on is already weak. But it can also look like pride. It can also look like cynicism that Man, nothing is good enough for you. No ministry, no church, no community is good enough for you. Does this ring true for you? But what happens when we behold the Lord? David says in Psalm 34, 5, that those who look to him are radiant, their faces shall never be ashamed. Why? Is God lonely? No, God's not lonely. God's with perfect community within himself, within the Trinity, never alone, never in need. He has no insecurities. In fact, he's so full of glory and full of splendor that it just naturally wells up and overflows into his people. Getting a little bit of feedback, I'm going to bring that down a little bit. But get this, if we behold, not ourselves, but if we behold the one who is not just love and joy, but he is the source of love and joy and peace, we will begin to see those things manifest in our lives. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. It's because when we look at Him, when we focus on Him, when we worship Him and praise Him, we become more like Him. That's how He intended things. Now, we behold the Lord. That's that's definite cause for for praise. Now, there's some overlap here, but it, it also is not just beholding, but also interacting. 
there is overlap because when you behold, there is interaction. But what God's saying in this passage here is really, really essential. It says in verse 4, not only behold, but he will come and save you. He's not saying to his people, all right, hey, just behold me and good luck with the Assyrian thing. He's saying, behold, I am coming and I will save you. How would we know he has? All right, verse 5. What would it look like? The eyes of the blind being opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Sounds like the ministry of Jesus. Yeah? And I think if we're familiar with the ministry of Jesus, he was all about interactions. All about encountering people where they were. Jesus drew near. Jesus took on flesh, dwelt among us, dwelt among the outcasts and the sinners. He healed the sick. He performed miracles. He spoke transforming words and even forgave people of their sin. And see, the physical signs that Jesus does, the healing and things like that, great, right? Because that's the sign that God has come to save. But the physical signs in and of themselves point to a deeper spiritual work that Christ is doing. Right? He's opened the eyes of the physically blind, but His people have been given spiritual sight to see reality, to see Him as He is. And we have been given spiritual hearing to hear the Father's voice. Because he calls his children, and Jesus said we would recognize his voice. And we've been given the ability, by God's grace, to walk with Jesus. And we've been given a new heart and a loosed tongue to no longer condemn, but to proclaim his grace in all the world. It's part of the gospel, and what God's saying here in verse 10, that We are his ransomed people. Ransomed from what? Ransomed from our sin. Ransomed from the condemnation and impending death that we all deserved. And we see that at the cross that all of this, all of this that God gives is possible because of what Jesus did. It's through the cross that we are ransomed. Through his blood. If he had not done that, we would still be in debt. We would still be in bondage. But praise God in his grace, he has redeemed his people. And he's still in the business of doing that. And then we also get this future, and well, current and future picture, that God's people shall return to Zion, the city of God. Not the physical Jerusalem, but the true and better city. That's where all of us are going. And in fact, what he's saying is it's, it's sealed with our destiny with him. And then he talks about the way of holiness. Well, what's the way of holiness? It's the way of Jesus. Jesus said, I am 
the way. And that's life right now, church. That's life right now, Christian. And his spirit resides in us to move one foot forward after the other. And many times it feels like stumbling, and many times we feel like Jesus is dragging us, but it's all going forward. He's bringing everlasting joy. Right? He says in John 16, when you see me again, no one will take your joy away from you. And sorrow and sighing shall flee. If you've been saved by Jesus, you need to know and maybe remember today that you're not going to be the same. You're not going to be the same person you were 10 years ago. Last year, this week, you are not going to be the same because He is faithful. He is faithful to finish what He started in you and me. And all this, this otherworldliness, all leads to praise. So what does this praise look like? Some of us are familiar with, uh, I think, what? There's five Greek words for love. Um, There's also seven Hebrew words for praise. I won't go into all of it, but essentially... All these words mean different things. They mean different actions, different ways of approach, and they're all, they're all things to be practiced. They're all things to be practiced by God's people. And so they can mean anything from a range of to sing, to make music, raising hands, adoring and confessing, to kneel and to shout, or in other words, a holy roar. What I've noticed in my time here at Redeemer and really leading worship for for many years, I've never gotten emails or comments or comment cards. We don't do comment cards, and thanks to COVID, that's never going to happen again, which is great. But what I picked up is that you guys have been really flexible with trying new songs, and unless you have some built-up angst towards me, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of hate. And, and it's crazy because there's other churches where, man, that's not the case. But we might not be picky with our songs, but we can be picky with how and when we praise Jesus. Not picky about the song choices, but picky about what we do. Now, what I'm saying is that the ideas and definitions for praise that maybe we've created need to align with Scripture. And I would say for all of us, they probably need to expand. Now, I am not advocating for a circus on Sunday mornings. But 
I think if we're honest with ourselves, the list of things I, I just gave, the seven different words for praise and what, what they mean, some of those things make us uncomfortable. Now, is that a problem with God? Or is that a problem with us? And I don't ask this question to condemn. But I, but I want us to be, to be mindful, to, to examine our hearts, to examine how we praise God, because it matters. Perhaps your response, your reaction to that is a sign that you need to dwell more on God's love for you. I'm not saying, here's a list of actions, just do it. I want you to discover the reason. We, like, we want, I mean, I, I would hope this is where we're at, that we want to be grateful and we want to be the most passionate about Jesus over everything, right? And so then the way that we praise should be elevated above everything else. Above everything else that we praise. Now, some understanding for what praise is, but what does the praise actually do? There's plenty of things, but I have a long, short list. I mean, first and foremost, when we praise, God is glorified. Right? If he's our treasure, he's going to get glory. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be given the glory that he deserves. Secondly, effects of praise, the church of God is built up. Let's check this out. The Spirit continues the ministry in Acts 3. Verse 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood, began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate 
of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The Spirit is continuing that ministry. It didn't stop with Jesus. Real easy test. The beginning of the church, the same things that Jesus did happened through the apostles. It happened through God's people. The sick would be healed. People would be saved. People would be baptized and redeemed. Church of God being built up. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but what he does is he counters worldly living with life in the Spirit. He says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other, making melody with your heart, giving praise to God, and then being in submission to one another. Note this, the connection, being filled with the Spirit and making melody. Being filled with the Spirit, praising God. Ultimate connection. This last month, uh, we had what we call a men's advance. Those of you who are new to Redeemer, men don't retreat, so we advance. Right? Really cheesy, but we've been doing it, so we're not going to change it. Now, in the midst of COVID... Um, we decided, you know what, Let, let's do it. Let's see. Like, people are hungry. So what happened was, in this, this room here, we had 60 guys come together for a Friday night through Saturday. And these dudes were hungry. Physically, yes, but more so Spiritually. And dudes who weren't there, I'm sorry, you missed out. Friday night was intended to just be a night of worship, and so I think we had like 10 songs planned out. And so, I mean, you can kind of do some math, like five minutes per song, like a little over an hour. Well, that didn't happen. By the end of the night, I think... uh, Time of worship went about three and a half hours. And I don't have enough time to talk about all that happened. But I think picking out some fruit of what happened that night was, is essential for today. I saw grown men approach that mic and confess their sin and proclaim the grace of God over the life, over their lives, and freedom that they have. I witnessed one of my brothers who had been dealing with chronic neck pain for eight years. Chronic migraines, and experiencing him getting healed. And another guy, as far as I know, uh, has been healed of Crohn's disease. There were so many words of encouragement that God 
brought to specific people exactly when they needed it. I saw brothers laying hands over brothers wrestling in brokenness. And I saw grown men learning how to engage with God. And at one point in time, this was not coaxed, this was not commanded, that God was moving so powerfully that literally every man in this room was on their knees. God was engaging with us and the praise was so thick, the praise was so big, it transformed us. Thirdly, praise pushes back darkness. What we say often that worship is war. War in the sense that it's fighting against disbelief in your own sin, the flesh, but also the enemy, who does not want you to praise God. Paul says in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus sealed the enemy's fate. When he was crucified and when he resurrected, sealed. They were put to open shame. But now us as the church, our praise sends reminders. It sends reminders to our flesh of who we once were. And it sends reminders to the enemy who we are. We are beloved. We are held in the Father's hands. Our joy is never to be taken away. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Never to be condemned. Never to be forsaken. Recently, in this last month or so, there have been um, different outdoor worship events that have been happening in major cities across Initially the West Coast, but now they're kind of going all over the lower 48. Um, now, if you're familiar with this movement, politics aside, I think the, the foundational reason for this is that they want to bring the message and hope of Jesus to broken cities and broken lives. Recently, in one weekend, they went to Portland and to one of the areas where riots have been happening, and Seattle in the former Chaz location. Right into brokenness. Now, they did not come without any opposition. People came to protest and disrupt what was happening. You could see on videos that people were yelling on megaphones, uh, people were mocking uh, they were breaking their sound gear. Uh, people had come up to destroy uh, guitar pedals. Someone poured hot glue on their keyboard. And uh, Satanists at one point were cutting themselves and trying to wipe blood on people. All right. But the fruit 
In one video that a protester uploaded, it was mid-song, and uh, protesters had killed the generator. Now, the moment that happened, everyone singing Amplified Times 10. <laughs> and then in another video, another protester was just watching them, you know, singing and playing, and he pretty much verbatim, he said, the more that we yell, the more joyful they are. Like, he couldn't comprehend what was happening. Like, if we mock them enough, they'll stop. If we pour hot glue on their keyboard, they're going to pack up and leave. But the people kept singing. And, at, at these events, Again, you see people getting healed, people getting saved, going down to the beach or the river and getting baptized. God's meeting people in the brokenness. And that's what happens when we bring praise into dark places. Now, effects of praise. The gospel is proclaimed throughout the world as an effect of praise. And it also affects praise when it's being used in areas of persecution. Now, maybe most of you know we are connected with a, a church network in India. And, you know, they definitely have their fair share of persecution and oppression from the government. I've gone on two trips, and usually those consist of... Um, seeing some of the work that they're doing, visiting house churches, but then also three days of training and where we go and we provide theological training for these uh, pastors who are just evangelist machines. But each of those three mornings uh, always started off with worship. And these are men and women who are being persecuted. These are men and women who have endured beatings, who have been given death threats. Some of them have been killed. And the government definitely has its hammer ready on their network. But their response is always, we will be faithful to Jesus, not men. What does their praise sound like? We're going to play a little clip here.
the lyrics, what they were singing, translate roughly as this. In the face of persecution, they sing this. Jesus Christ, there is no one like you. You are a great king. You are my God. We are singing, you are the king of kings. Your glory forever. You are God, our God. Dear Father, how much do you love me? To get rid of my sins and sacrifice your son. They praise like this every morning. Going through those examples, I think, are helpful. But the question has to be posed to us. Who are we to be? Who are we to be? What God is saying in Isaiah 35 the ransomed of the Lord are a people of praise. And so, what God is laying before us is a call to action. It's a call to action that we would no longer be spectators. No longer settling for the routine of American Christianity, no longer settling for a minimal prayer life, no longer settling for a life that says it's a, you're a Christian but is void of the gospel. No longer settling for a life that says, yes, I praise God, but is completely void of singing. What has 2020 revealed about your praise? Has it revealed it to be shallow? Or has it revealed it to be, you know what, you're built on a firm foundation. God's actually given you endurance through it. Or are you somewhere in between? And fickleness. Regardless of how this year's been, God is calling all of us forward into Sunday and beyond. Because worship shows the world the bigness and the graciousness of Jesus. It happens here. But it happens outside of that as well, regardless of circumstance. It's what, G, or not Jesus, it's what David says. Psalm 35. Sorry, 34. I, oh, context. This is a man who had been pursued and hunted. Living in the wilderness. 
who was called to be king, yet he was pursued to be killed. What he says matters. Out of the gates, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord and camps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is coming from the man who's taking refuge in a cave. Still saying, taste and see. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And you want to see some of his praise? In 2 Samuel, when he's returning the ark to Jerusalem, this is miles travel. And scripture says every six steps David made a sacrifice. Hundreds and hundreds of sacrifices. He's covered in blood. And when he gets there, he's dancing. Half naked, mind you. Not very culturally appropriate. His wife, one of his wives, he's not perfect, condemns and looks down upon what he's doing as he's glorifying the Lord. And what we see later, she can no longer bear children because of that. It's a very serious thing. But what is essential to see here is that David's praise was outlandish. David's praise still fell short of the glory due to the Lord. David is dancing covered in blood, filled with joy. And the thing is for us, church, that doesn't mean we do the same thing in terms of all of these sacrifices because the sacrifice has already been made. The blood already covers you. It looks hideous to the world. But to God, you look beautiful. You look clean and spotless and without blemish. And your praise should reflect that. God is saying to his people in Isaiah 35, hold fast. Assyria is still coming. And then after that, Babylon. And then after that, you'll be in Persia. Still, regardless of the circumstances, 
I encamp around you. I'm with you. What's he saying to us? Hold fast. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Remember that. Fear not. It's like the most frequent command that God gives. Fear not. And so as we're closing out here, and this goes back to the fight for joy that Michael talked about. And one aspect of that is our praise. Praise, again, is a weapon. When we sing the promises of God, when we sing Scripture, that's the sword. And we wield it. And the Spirit moves in power through His people. When that happens, let it be the constant encouragement and motivation for you. Let your life reflect Him. Let your life reflect His goodness. Because that's the only way forward. So we're going to move into a time to respond. And not just talk about praise, but practice. So as we respond, this gives us a handful of opportunities. So one of which being communion. And so if you didn't get one of those little cups in the bowl right outside the doors, you're welcome to go and get that. If you are a, a, a Christian, we encourage you to join us in that. If, if you're not there with Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we just ask that you kind of hold off on that. But if you have questions about what it means to walk with Jesus, talk to me. We want, we want to talk about it. But as we take communion, we remember that sacrifice. We remember the body of, of Jesus broken for us. We remember his blood shed for us that covers us. And it's the grounds for praise. We'll also give an opportunity for giving. We'll have the number up there. And give out of the motivation and love that God has shown you and how he leads you. We're going to give you time to pray. We're just going to have some music going. And whatever, maybe Jesus has just been working something in your heart. And you just need to get with Him. Just sit and pray and linger and ask God, what would you have me do? How are you leading me through this? But also, through this warning, if God has been working on your heart and, and perhaps giving you uh, potentially a word to share for this body this morning, uh, Michael will be up here and be able to help process that for you. And if it is for the body this morning, we want to share that. And so um, maybe you think, maybe God has been showing me something. Sort it through with Michael. He's gracious. He loves you. He wants to help you. So, and we want to encourage the body this morning. So we don't want to overlook that. But finally, we're going to praise. And maybe today, this morning, praise is going to look a lot differently for you. I hope it does. Not out of condemnation, like, oh, I'm not raising my hands, but, but out of, again, out of the motivation and love 
that Jesus has shown you and has put within you. That we would live as God's people. We would move forward in that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Unending, relentless, all-consuming grace that covers every area of brokenness, that removes every sin from us. Jesus, we thank you that you've taken all of it and you've placed it on yourself and through that you've ransomed us. You've covered us in your cleansing blood that makes us new, that makes us whole. Lord, let our lives reflect that love. Let our lives reflect it in a way of singing, in a way of living that pushes back the darkness in our city, in our community, within our own lives. Would we care more, Lord, about serving you and walking with you rather than what man says, rather than what the world says? Because they will always say, that the way is foolish. But you say it is the way, it's the truth, and it's the life. It's through you, Jesus. So come, your spirit, fill this room. Fill your people. Change us. For your glory and for our joy. Amen.